0: welcome to the bible questions podcast brought to you by biblequestions.org and the holly street church of christ this podcast is dedicated to answering your bible questions from the bible my name is jeff and along with brian we are the hosts of this program
1: welcome to the bible questions podcast my name is brian thank you so much for joining us today along with me is jeff jeff good morning how are you today
0: Hey Brian, uh, doing real well. Uh, Looking forward to what I think will be hopefully some uh, interesting stimulating uh, back and forth uh, with the uh, questions today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think our listeners will find it a great topic. And uh, before we get into all that though, uh, I guess you have some news that you'd like to share with our listeners.
0: Well, certainly. And I don't know how our listeners access these different podcasts, but I did want to call attention to a new feature at our website. If you go to the and it kind of depends if you're using a, a mobile app or, or a desktop browser uh, but if you have a mobile app there's typically like three horizontal bars upper left corner if i remember right if you find the podcast page through that way or if you're on a browser desktop browser there's a more button at the upper right corner of the home page that will also allow you to get to the podcast page that particular page kind of instructs people on the various ways they can get to the podcasts it also includes a podcast player with about the most recent you know half a dozen or so but the new feature is very very recently we uh, on that very same page a topical index so right now with more than 100 plus podcasts we thought it'd be useful for our listeners to be able to come onto this podcast page at our website and look up different topics like we have podcasts that are related to bible study related to calvinism christian living divorce etc so we've kind of arranged them in uh, in topics so now you don't necessarily have to go searching you can come onto this page see a topic of interest And all the related podcasts are already under that topic. So hopefully our listeners will find that uh, feature uh, useful in the future.
1: Yeah, I appreciate all the work you put into that, Jeff. I do agree that it's nice if somebody, you know, maybe they just recently started listening to the podcast and they want to know, hey, what's been covered in the past? No doubt if you're using a podcast app, you know, you can go and look and see what the actual topics are. But I like the way this is organized because to your point, If somebody is interested, for instance, in Christian living, they can see all the podcasts that we recorded that have some element of or were dedicated to Christian living, for instance.
0: Right. The other thing that that topical index does is it also points to the written articles. In essence, we have kind of two areas on the website uh, that are topically related there's the topical index for the podcasts, but there's also links back over to our articles and previously answered questions etc that are also organized by topics so if you want you know audio you've got it if you want to link over and come to the written stuff you got that now too so it's sort of a you know interrelated which hopefully again that part will be of also benefit to our to our listeners yeah absolutely
1: All right. so what are we going to be talking about today? Today we are going to be looking at some recently submitted Bible questions. So as our listeners know, especially if you've been listening for a little while, you know, a few times a year we like to just take a look at or give you some insight into Bible questions that are submitted literally daily at biblequestions.org. And so, you know, we just kind of took a, a random sample of questions that we think you might find interesting, Uh, Or even questions that kind of help you to understand the variety of questions that people ask on a host of different topics. And so as we go through these, we will often point you to additional reference material on the site like we were just talking about. And of course, scriptures, right? So sometimes we'll say, hey, you know, take a look at these additional passages. So it would encourage you to take some notes and to look at that additional material because we're just going to, once again, answer the questions as they've been submitted and then point you to some additional material. So Jeff, anything you want to add before we dive in?
0: Yeah, Brian, I find it interesting when we were trying to characterize the previous podcast under different topics that uh, the one area that we had a lot of entries on was what we're doing today. Now, you might call them frequently asked questions. You might call them popular questions, et cetera. But again, if you go to that topical index, uh, we settled at least for the time being under the term frequently asked questions. And we've got, you know, at this point, almost uh, almost 20 podcasts a- across the you know three years we've been doing this and the 100 podcasts that we've generated. So if people really like to see a variety of all different kinds of things, you know, that'd be an excellent resource. So, given that, Brian, let's just get into it.
1: Yeah, sounds good. So, once again, just for our listeners, these would be questions that have been submitted recently. And the first one, Jeff, comes to you from Caitlin. And she says, Would it be possible for a true saved Christian to also be a practicing homosexual because the Holy Spirit has not shown them? that homosexuality is a sin? Is this situation possible?
0: Yeah. And you know, Brian, this question is like a lot of the questions we get to the website. You know, uh, there's a lot of elements or a lot of aspects or different perspectives or dimensions to the question. So you have to kind of approach it and sort of, you know, begin to to pull the pieces apart and sort of address each one, which is which is what I'll do with this one as well. So first of all, have to acknowledge, and hopefully our, our listeners, if they're familiar with the Bible, uh, would agree that, you know, according to the scriptures, on a very base level, that the practice of homosexuality is indeed a sin. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 28, as, as one verse of others, describes this kind of behavior as uncleanness, uh, dishonoring their bodies, vile passions against nature, shameful, error, debased mind, not fitting. And all those come from the uh, New King James Version. So, you know, is the practice a sin? Yes. Okay, so now that we've got that underway, we kind of go to the next level. It says, can a Christian continue to sin and be saved? And the answer there is no. One verse that comes to mind, First John chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 10, in fact, Brian, uh, why don't you go ahead and, and read that? Because that's kind of a, a little bit of a lengthy reading. Again, First John 1, starting with verse 5.
1: Uh, sure. Here it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us.
0: Thank you, Brian. Any comments on that before uh, I continue on?
1: Yeah, I love it. I, I think it's just a wonderful definition of what righteousness is, right? And you know, just addresses the fact that, that we have to be honest with ourselves, right? We could think we're okay, if you will, or righteous, but if we're not walking according to the scriptures, we cannot call ourselves righteous. So anyhow, good
0: passage. All right? I appreciate that. So can a Christian continue to sin and be saved? Can a con- Christian continue to practice homosexuality, which is a sin, and be saved? No. Now, some might go to the next level and say, well, now, wait a minute. Okay. What if they are not aware it's a sin? What if they're ignorant of it being a sin? And whether we're talking homosexuality or some other sin, you know, are sins that are committed in ignorance overlooked? To that, the answer would be no. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 comes to mind. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. In fact, we see in Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 47 and 48, where sin is punished whether you know it or not now we could get into an interesting discussion brian about degrees of punishment and you know few stripes many stripes but the key point is even those sins that we may be ignorant of still are punished so are sins committed in ignorance overlooked well no so now we can kind of go to the next level which gets a little bit more closer to where caitlin is really trying to go to finally (laughs) Is the Holy Spirit responsible for showing people they are sinning? And to that, I would say with some qualification, no. Because if you look through the verses in the New Testament, for example, the emphasis is not on the Holy Spirit somehow miraculously communicating to you via a dream or a vision or a voice in your head. Or somewhat humorously, we might today say, by sending you a text on your phone or an email, etc. No, no. The emphasis is, first of all, on him having done that to some degree to or through, I should say, the apostles and the prophets, which they in turn wrote down, which we now have in the New Testament. And then in turn, our responsibility is to read and study and become familiar with what has already been written, revealed by the Spirit. For example, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, uh, other translations may say rightly handling, the word of truth. Continuing on into the next chapter of 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the the burden if you will is not on the Holy Spirit to quote unquote show us something is a sin. Directly the Holy Spirit has already showed us something is a sin. At least made that information that knowledge available through the scriptures. So he's done his part. Now it's up to us to do the research, the study, uh, etc. Brian any uh, thoughts before I point folks back to our website for uh, different topics?
1: Yeah, you know, in, in civil society, if you violate a law that you are not aware of, um, you're going to still be charged or ticketed. So I was thinking of like, you know, speeding, running a red light. If you're pulled over by, let's say, a police officer and you say, well, I, I didn't know the speed limit was 40 or, you know, I didn't realize you can't run a red light. That's not going to work, right? The civil government expects you to be aware of the laws and to follow them, and, and God as well, right? And uh, so anyhow, appreciate those points.
0: Right. Well, and the other thing I just might throw there is it's not just on us to read and study the Bible. I mean, that that's important, no doubt. But the uh, the role, if you will, of being shown that something is a sin can also be like these podcasts, for instance, and the things we talk about. Or it can be when the preacher is preaching on these different subjects. Or if it's uh, another concerned Christian, again, out of concern for your soul, comes to you and says, hey, did you realize that what you're doing is not according to the scriptures? So, you know, the whole. if you want to view that as like the Holy Spirit kind of working through people, you know, who have learned uh, what he has to say, um, you know, th- there's that aspect as well. I might add, you know, uh, you know, to maybe round out the discussion.
1: No, I agree. In fact, we, we have another question we're going to talk about in a little while, where one other thing to think about is that if we are truly interested in the truth that uh, God, and the, through the Holy Spirit, and just through, like you said, people, right, will enable us to hear the truth. And we see many examples of that. So anyhow, we'll, we'll have more to say about that in a little
0: while. Okay. And what uh, I'll do here, which we'll also do at the very end of the podcast— is point people back to the website and relevant topics. At least in this area, some relevant topics might be A for apostasy and basically a fancy term for the fact that Christians can fall away and be lost. Certainly, I for ignorance, R for repentance, uh, H for Holy Spirit and how he his his role and how he works, um, and of course uh, H for homosexuality. So uh, a number of topics. Brian, any other thoughts before we go to the next question?
1: Uh, no, let's dive right in.
0: Alrighty, So, Nancy writes in and she says, I was reading about Jesus and the blind man. When Jesus was asked if the man was born blind because of his past sins, Jesus said no. But then it said Jesus did not object to the idea of reincarnation, which means he believed in reincarnation. Is this true? Did Jesus believe in reincarnation?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the short answer is no, as reincarnation is not taught in the Bible. And, you know, Jeff, the the reference uh, about this healing that she's talking about can be found over in John chapter 9. In fact, it covers the entire chapter. And it's interesting, you know, she's really referencing verses 1 through 3. And I actually looked at those verses in, in like six different translations, just trying to figure out how did Nancy come to the conclusion that Jesus did not, quote unquote, object to the idea of reincarnation.
0: Yeah, I was worried about that because I'm thinking I, I mean, I'd have to look up John, but off the top of my head, I cannot think of any any phrase or word or concept in there that would even to, you know, to think that unless somehow he sinned in a previous life and then was born blind into the next life, might Maybe? I don't know. That's that's kind of a stretch in my mind.
1: Yeah, and and maybe it's, you know, that verse 3, and in fact, I'll, I'll just read verses 1 through 3. This comes from the New King James Version, where it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So the only thing I could think of is that last phrase there, right? That the works of God should be revealed in him. And, and to your point, maybe it's, you know, he was something, he was a whole person, if you will, in a previous life, but when he came reincarnated back, it, he was born blind so that, once again, Jesus uh, could could show God's power. Well, what we do know is this. if If you were to look up the definition of reincarnation, it's really... You know, known as and sometimes it's called a rebirth or transmigration. It's really the belief that our spirit. So when we talk about it, the spirit that resides in each one of us when we are created, right, or and we were born, if you will, is just the non-physical essence of our living being. So those that believe in reincarnation believe that when you die, you begin a new life in a different physical form or body after physical death. So it you know it doesn't just limit itself, as far as those who believe this, to being reincarnated as another person. But in some cases, they believe that you might come back as an animal, for instance. Well, if you study Indian religions, such as Hinduism and Buddhism, you can see this is actually a common belief in some of these religions. But it's not one that's supported from the Scripture. So one thing that the Bible does make clear is that when we die— our soul returns to God. So the, our soul cannot go anywhere else. And, and how do we know this? Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Jeff, you want to read verses six and seven there where it talks about this?
0: Okay. And before I do, you know, there, there's some kind of poetic language here, but basically it's talking about death. Verse six starting, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosened or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you pointing that out, because you're right. If you first read, like, what does that mean? The golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered, you know? Yeah, life is over, right? And so uh, the key there, as you pointed out, or you read that, you know, the dust returns to the earth, right? Our bones literally will become dust, And our spirit returns to God. So that really clearly says that we, our spirit will not go into others, but our spirit does still live on. So if you look over in Luke chapter 16, and I'll encourage our listeners just to write down verses 19 through 31 as something that you might want to read, Luke 16, 19 through 31. You'll see in that section there that Jesus gives us the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And what Jesus is really teaching us here is that when we die, our soul goes to Hades. And if you look at what Hades is, it's really just the realm of the dead. And, you know, it certainly appears from what we read here in other passages that we all will go there when we die unless the Lord returns before we die. So it's like a holding place until judgment. But what's interesting about it? is that it contains two different places, something called torments, which is where those who are wicked will go, and paradise, which is that area where those who are faithful will go. It's also known as Abraham's bosom. So if you read through this story, uh, in verse 23, it talks about this rich man who was wicked. He wouldn't even help this poor beggar. And in verse 23, it says, and being in torments in Hades... He, the rich man, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So here you had this poor man, Lazarus. He was a righteous man. Therefore, he was in Abraham's bosom or paradise. The wicked witch man was on, you know, separated by a gulf, we're told in that section, in a totally different area called torments where he was awaiting judgment. And so when we think about, you know, the fact that it's not possible for our soul to re Incarnate, it's really because we're going to Hades and we're awaiting this final judgment. And so there wouldn't be any way for our soul to go into something else or re- come back as something else, that sort of thing. One other passage here, and that's in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, where it says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So once we die, our destiny is fixed and it cannot be changed and we can't become something else that could possibly be saved. So Jeff, before I give you a chance to give any comments, I'll just say, you know, the key for our listeners, really, the key question that we want to ask is, am I prepared for the judgment and my final destiny? That's really what we want to be asking ourselves. Jeff?
0: And a, and a good question. Yeah, that's one of the things that tends to separate, if you will, what, what you might call uh, uh, some of the Far Eastern religions, as you mentioned, Hinduism and Buddhism and sort of this endless cycle of birth life death birth life death birth life death etc through multiple uh, cycles if you will as people you know try to advance more toward perfection uh, highest perfect enlightenment you know the state of attaining the person who, whose name that the buddhist religion bears you know buddha uh, was able to obtain sort of bootstrapping our way there. Or if you do bad in this life, quote unquote karma will get to you and you'll come into the next life as one of the lower levels in society, the the caste system that they have. Or if you're really bad in this life, yeah, you might come back as an animal that, you know, gets eaten, you know, maybe as an animal has some opportunity to do good, I guess, maybe. And maybe advance further back up the ladder or you get eaten or Anyway, ongoing cycles, very, very different than what we might call, uh, you know, Judeo-Christian concepts, you know, Judaism, Christianity, and even Islam, where they say, basically, this is the life that you've got, so you better make the most of it.
1: Yeah, that's right. And as we always encourage our listeners, anytime somebody introduces uh, something like this, You want to just go and see what the Bible says, right? And you'll see the Bible doesn't use the term reincarnation. It doesn't teach the principles of reincarnation. So we do have more information on some of these general principles that we talked about. So if you go to our topic section, S for salvation, about how we truly are saved and how there will be a judgment, for instance, and for new age movement, where you can read about some of these things that Jeff mentioned also, and then F for false teaching. Okay, why don't we move on to the next one, Jeff, and this one comes from Anna, and she asks, why did people live so long in the Old Testament? What caused the shortening of our years?
0: Yeah, and that's, I find that question, you know, kind of fascinating, because it sort of ties into the creation that God originally did, and looking around, I think chapter one, he says everything was good. It ties into some degree the fall of man and sin in the garden. Certainly ties together the global flood, Genesis, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, etc. So it's it's a very fascinating question. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't really give us an answer uh, explicitly. Now, it, it certainly does say, as as is obvious, that the the ancient people lived much longer. You know, almost ten x to what we live today. You know, Adam, according to Genesis 5, 930 years. Methuselah, uh, 969 years. That's, again, according to Genesis chapter 5. Noah, just before the flood, 950. And then after the flood, even for some period of time, ages were long, although decreasing. So by the time we get to Abraham's father, Terah, uh, he's still living 200 years, you know, 205, according to Genesis chapter 11. Now, if you kind of, you know, look through the scriptures, there's nothing really in the scriptures that would suggest the years were different lengths. certainly doesn't suggest people's ages were calculated differently. So, you know, we got this interesting fact, but what do you do with it? You know, from roughly a thousand, living for a thousand years, down to living for maybe a hundred. I think Abraham, Abraham, if I remember right, was roughly, you know, I think he lived longer than hundred, but even in the eight, in his 80s, you know, he was viewed as, you know, at least from a reproductive sense, uh, very, you know, aged, if you will. So where you know where do you go with that? If the Bible doesn't give give us a clear answer, you know, the best we can say is we don't know. Now it does lead for some interesting um, hints, if you will, in the scriptures that make you wonder. For instance, you know, if God created man and his initial ecosystem environment in a way that was, quote-unquote, very good, as I mentioned, Genesis 1, it would certainly be reasonable to assume from a medical perspective, scientific perspective, genetic perspective, etc., that with an ideal climate, abundant healthy food, you know, certainly no harmful genetic mutations early on, that early man could, would live longer than he now does and certainly with the massive disruption of the planetary ecosystem through the great flood and the churning up of all kinds of sediment which may or may not contain you know some degree of radioactivity or who knows what happened with the atmosphere which might allow more harmful you know solar radiation cosmic radiation whatever increasing uh, mutations through dna whatever And of course, none of this is in the Bible, but it certainly from a scientific perspective would be plausible that there would be any number of adverse changes that could serve to start cutting back people's lifespans. Again, bottom line, we don't know, but it certainly would be consistent with the hints we do have in scripture. Ryan, any thoughts there before I point people back to the website?
1: Yeah, you know, some scholars, kind of speculate that one of the other reasons that people had longer lives was to, you know, where God wanted man to populate the earth and therefore allowed him to live longer for a period of time. But as you said, we don't really know, do we? We can guess. It is kind of interesting to think about some of those things. And I appreciate the points you made about, you know, this world and what it was like back then compared to now. But yeah, this kind of falls under Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, right? Where the secret things belong to God and those things that he revealed, He revealed to us so
0: exactly and as i hinted at before go back to our website look under the topics menu item f for flood uh, to describe what in my mind as i said you know a global catastrophe which could totally upset the ecosystem uh, which some people obviously deny uh, evolutionists would deny or they might say was a local flood but, yeah, it's not the way the Bible describes it, uh, as well as M for Methuselah, which is a little bit more to uh, our point on this particular question. All right, Brian, looks like you get the next one from Emma. And she writes in, which I think is an interesting question. Why, and again, none of those why questions. Why, after all the work John the Baptist did for the glory of God, why did the daughter of the king need his head? Yeah, we get lots of why questions, don't we? Yeah, we do. Sometimes we don't know, but sometimes we do.
1: (laughs) Right. And, you know, it's interesting that we wonder, like, how could somebody want to take off somebody else's head? But let's look at Mark chapter 6 so far. Listeners, if you have your Bible handy, turn over to Mark chapter 6. We're going to just reference some verses that talk about this incident over in uh, verses 17 through 29. So, you know, when we look at Mark chapter 6, what we see in verse 17 is that Herod, was, who was the leader at that time, uh, was in an unlawful marriage, and it was called unlawful because he was married to Herodias, who was his brother Philip's wife. And in verse 18, it tells us that John told Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And we know the Bible makes it very clear, right, that it would be adultery to have relations or even to take a wife that belongs to somebody else. So John was simply stating the truth on the matter. But you know, Herodias, when she heard what John told Herod, was very angry and did not like what John was saying. You know, obviously, she wanted to be in that relationship. Well, if you go on in verses 19 through 20, it tells us that Herodias held it against him, as in John, and wanted to kill him. But she could not because Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him, we're told, which is interesting. Well, if you continue on, what you'll find out that, you know, later on in the chapter, Herodias' daughter danced for Herod and his friends, and they were all pleased, we're told. In fact, Herod was so pleased that he said, you know, ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And, you know, you see in verse 23, he says, even up to half my kingdom. So apparently he was pretty pleased with the way she was dancing. Well, she didn't know what to ask for. So she went out and and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And so, you know, verse 26, I think is revealing where it tells us that the king was exceedingly sorry but because he made this oath, and because of those who sat with him, who would hold him accountable for what he said he would do, he did not want to refuse her. And so then we see that Herod sent an executioner, chopped off John's head, and put it on a platter, and the daughter then gave it to her mother. So so very very sad. And you know it's interesting how if you look back in verse twenty, it talks about that he not only was that Herod feared John because he knew he was a just and holy man but that when he heard him, it says he did many things and heard him gladly. So here's Herod who gladly heard John. And this might be kind of what Emma's talking about, you know, of all the work that that he has done for the glory of God. And I guess you could say even considering how much Herod liked him and liked to hear what he had to say, why would he do this? Well, he did it because he made an oath, right? And you know, even though he may have enjoyed hearing what John said, apparently it wasn't enough that he was willing to end this unlawful marriage. So, so hopefully that answers Emma's question. And I think, Jeff, a, a basic lesson here is to think before we speak, right? And not to make hasty promises due to our emotions.
0: And, and that's a good point. In fact, while you were talking, I was trying to think of various links to our website. I came up with a few. Uh, of course, J for John the Baptist, you know, to get some historical background. R for revenge. <laughs> which is what Herodias, you know, <laughs> S for suffering. Uh, and, you know, just because you do a lot for God, you know, sometimes that can, you know, if you speak out against sin, etc., cetera, hate speech, we might call that today. You can be persecuted. You can suffer trials. You can suffer. Uh, the other thing I m- might mention is T for tongue, as in Herod <laughs> saying something he should, not harsh or not harsh, but... Uh, ill-advised vows, etc. So, and, and, you know, there's a lesson we can learn there as well. As you mentioned, be careful what you say. Be careful what you promise. Yeah, to that
1: point, uh, also O for oaths, right? So the Bible does have a lot of teaching about how we should not take oaths and be careful about that. So, yeah, plenty of material. Appreciate you bringing those up. Okay, so consider a, a question from Patrick next. And he asked, is it a scriptural sin?" to not attend all church assemblies. I attend on Sunday. I find this is scriptural, Acts 20, verse 7, etc., he says. But I do not on Wednesday Bible study nights, etc. Do I sin if I do not attend other assemblies on other weekdays scheduled by the local congregation? Sundays are the only times I assemble with the saints to worship. Thanks for any scripture you could give to validate, verify, it being a sin not to attend church service on Wednesday night. So, Jeff, before you answer, I'll just say, you know, for those that have been Christians, especially in the United States, and, uh, you know, certainly other countries might handle this differently, you know, there's become kind of a trend. I mean, for years and years and years, ever since I was a kid, most churches of Christ met twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday night. And that's what he's kind of referencing here. But there's been this trend over the last several years where many congregations, for a variety of reasons, they only meet now on Sunday or maybe, you know, Sunday and Wednesday. But beyond that, you know, there are some people that have questioned, right? And I guess that's not new, right? People question things all the time about, well, do I really need to attend every service? What does the Bible say about that? So anyhow, kind of a loaded question, Jeff, in that regard, right?
0: Well, it is. And... Hold that thought about, quote unquote, do I really need to? (laughs) Because I'll I'll talk about that as we get further into it. But I think something we need to, I guess, approach this uh, is in in a matter of uh, degrees, so to speak. So let's first of all, for, for the listeners in our audience who might even say, well, why do I even need to worship? You know, Why do I need to come together? Why do I need to even attend at all? So let's just kind of establish that baseline. First, recognize that God does indeed require faithful Christians to get together with fellow Christians on a regular basis for public worship. There are certain commands, as we'll see in a few moments, that can only be done in a group setting where you have fellowship with fellow Christians. Now some people may want to claim that, well, I have a personal relationship with Jesus and I don't need religion. I don't, quote unquote, go to church. But the problem with that is, as you look through the New Testament, there were assemblies, uh, New Testament times. These assemblies seem to be regular on the first day of the week, first day of every week, Sundays, uh, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians, verse 11, especially if you couple that contextually with what's said further on over in chapter 16, when they came together on the first day of the week. So there were regular assemblies where Christians came together to worship God together and do acts of worship together that can only be done together, like singing one to another, as an example. In terms of you know giving into the local treasury, local local um, uh, congregations treasury, and you know some other things, you know encouraging one another, et cetera, that can only be done in a group setting. So you, you can't be an isolated Christian sitting by yourself off in your cabin, disconnected from the grid, so to speak. So, first of all, assembling is required. And as we've seen here, Acts 27, 1 Corinthians 11, first day of the week, okay. Now, admittedly, Brian, there's nothing in the Bible that says, and thou shalt meet on Wednesdays. There's nothing in the Bible that says, thou shalt meet twice on Sundays, okay. But we do see, sort of taking this to the next level, that the early church did meet somewhat frequently you know, for starters, Acts 2, verse 43, uh, at least within that context, they were like meeting every day. Okay. Now, there's no details, you know, beyond that uh, particular, you know, passage. You know, certainly from a biblical perspective, you know, the frequency of coming together beyond a Sunday assembly worship is indeed somewhat subjective and a matter of judgment. So, let's take it to the next level. One of the uh, responsibilities of the local congregation, or work of the church, if you will, is to edify the body, you know, help encourage, instruct the me- instruct the members, encourage them, etc. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Now, certainly churches need to have some sort of approach to edification that's wholesome, without confusion, 1 Corinthians 14, 40. Uh, in order to do this, the elders or leaders of a congregation may establish a certain series of, of gatherings, if you will, that are convenient, you know, above and beyond a single worship on Sunday, convenient for as many as possible. And from that perspective, the elders may decide it's best for the congregation to, as you said, you know, maybe meet twice on Sunday, maybe meet on Wednesday also, or maybe they also want to meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays or whatever. And certainly members you know, should go along with that. You know, leadership role be in subjection to the elders. Hebrews chapter thirteen, verses seven and seventeen, and this kind of now takes it to that attitude you mentioned earlier. You know, regarding attitude, and honestly, this is where my brain kind of starts to short circuit. You know, if if you want to be a faithful Christian. Why wouldn't a Christian want to try to meet, want to try to get together, want to try to get the additional spiritual nourishment, the spiritual encouragement, encouraging others above and beyond the once required on Sunday kind of uh, effective? So, you know, when we start to kind of bottom line it, you know, assembling beyond a Sunday service. To some degree, as a matter of judgment, local congregation, you know, you could make a case that these additional assemblies could, to some degree, fall under Hebrews 10 and 25 through 30 and the assembling of yourselves together whenever those assemblings are. Now, the the final layer I might put on this is, you know, obviously there has to be some degree of latitude, certainly for circumstances, that legitimately hinder members from attending on this somewhat higher frequency basis you know some people have work schedules during the week you know. some people have you know very long distance drives to the building etc so you know some degree of, of latitude so that would have to fit you know figure in as well yeah brian i'm somewhat you know concerned by people who want to do the minimum and say well yeah i'll do the minimum but you know uh, i'm not going to go beyond that you know i, I think kind of, there's an underlying attitude there. Perhaps it's a lack of commitment or zeal or something. I don't know, Brian, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, I can think of many occasions, just take that Wednesday midweek service where maybe it's been a particularly difficult day at work or something going on in my life. And I just find it incredibly encouraging to be able to go and worship God and sing songs and, and renew our spirits. And more importantly, they're going to most likely be other brethren that are there that may have had a bad day as well. Or maybe you had a great day and they had a bad day and, and you can really encourage them. And And I appreciate you bringing up Hebrews 10 because, you know, verse 24 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And then it goes on to verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So, you're right. I mean, in essence, it could be just a selfish attitude if you start thinking about, well, do I have to? It's like, well, hang on. Not only should you love the the Lord enough to do it, but consider your brethren and consider the edification that comes through worship and, you know, speaking to them after, whatever it might be. So, yeah, appreciate how you approach that, uh, because ultimately uh, our attitude makes all the difference when it comes to things like this.
0: All right. You know, the other thing I'll just mention, and, and I'm not certain if it's cause and effect or just coincidence. But from what I have observed, generally speaking, people who come once on Sunday for the worship only, you know, if Bible class is offered prior to worship, they don't come to that. If a second service in the afternoon is offered, they don't come to that. If there's a midweek Wednesday meeting, they don't come to that. If there's a, you know, back in the day, we used to have, you know, gospel meetings that would, you know, last a week and every night, you know, some special outside speaker would come in. They don't go to that. You know, those people, again, generally, very often the case, tend to be pretty weak, tend to be, you know, some degree lack of commitment, tend, unfortunately, tend to fall away. And so, I don't again, I don't know if there's a cause and effect there or if it's coincidental, but certainly an area to be concerned about. Definitely, And so, uh, as we have been doing to the previous questions, point people back to our website for further information under A for attendance, focusing on this topic more specifically. W for worship, a little bit more broadly, to include the requirement of God that part of our worship to Him can be private, if you will, you know, prayers, Bible study, etc. But part of it also involves public group action. Can't can't just be a Christian in isolation. Brian, anything else before we move forward? Nope, let's go ahead. Right. So Zoe writes in, and God forgive someone who stands for abortion, but also claims to be a Christian.
1: So, you know, the I think we really just want to start with some Bible definitions and when you think about abortion i don't know that anybody could reasonably argue that it's not murder because you're ending a human life and certainly within our own country here in the united states there's a whole lot of debate around well when does life begin and is it really a you know is a fetus really a human being and so forth but if we're being you know if we're looking at what the scriptures teach life begins at the moment of conception so if you are ending that life, that's murder, and therefore it's a sin. And sin, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, is a transgression of the law. Well, which law is that? It's God's law, right? So God sets the rules, if you will. And so if you end somebody's life, God defines that as murder. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, a true Christian is someone who is obedient or follows all of God's law. So you know, First John chapter 3, verses 6 through 7 talks about that. And then also 1 John chapter 2. Jeff, you want to read that for us? First John 2, verses 3 through 6, where it talks about, you know, this definition, if you will, of being righteous.
0: Okay. Now, by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, oh, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... Truly, the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And I've, the last part, I'm assuming, you know, Jesus and his obedience to, to God.
1: That's right. And so, you know, a true Christian is someone that keeps God's commandments. Now, we cannot say we are a quote unquote Christian if we either support or practice sin. So, you know, Zoe may just be talking about, I would never get an abortion, she might say, but I, I might condone it, or I might accept someone that practices the sin. Well, if we're a Christian and we either support or once again practice abortion, then we can't say we're a Christian, right? Because we are doing what's contrary or condoning others who are doing what is contrary to God's Word. Now, As far as the question where she said, can God forgive someone that stands for abortion? Well, yes, we can be forgiven of any sin, including abortion, if we repent. So this might be a situation where when you were younger or up until you become a Christian, you think that abortion might be okay. Or maybe you say, you know, I don't think it's okay, but I can understand, you know, because a woman should have her own choice, as some like to frame it, that it would be okay for them to make that choice. Well, No, and if you come to that realization and you repent of that attitude or repent of even, you know, practicing or believing in abortion, uh, then you can be forgiven. And Acts 2.38 talks about that, right? Repent and let everyone be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we do that through baptism. If we already are a Christian, and maybe once again, we either support abortion or, uh, you know, sympathize with those who believe in it. Well, 1 John 1.9 covers that, right? If we come to that realization, we realize that we're wrong. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, God is just to forgive us of our sins. And so we can be forgiven, but we must cease that sin. We must cease supporting it. And so, uh, Jeff, before I point people back for some additional info, any any thoughts on that?
0: Well, maybe just one following up, and that is certainly, and again, we have listeners around the planet, I don't know what your culture or your government allows, but certainly here within the United States, uh, abortion is legal, uh, at least up to a certain point in the development of the baby, (laughs) and I will call it a baby, and so that has... You know, we've seen a cultural shift there within our nation that it used to be illegal. Now it's legal. And some people say, well, okay, well, if it's legal, it must be okay. Well, no. And we've also seen that same cultural shift go into a fair number of religious groups. Not all, of course, but but some will say, yes, you know, some of the more, you know, liberal or open or, no, um, I don't know what the right word is for, for denominations that would say it's okay to, to murder your babies. Uh, but but some do, uh, and so just because it's legal by the government, just because some religions say it's okay, doesn't change what the scriptures have to say. So we have to keep that in mind as well. Yeah,
1: good point. We really must look at it the right way. And so for some additional material, go to our topic section. You can choose A for abortion, where there's more information there, and O for obedience. All right, so Jeff, the next question uh, we want to consider comes from Guy, and Guy says, it seems that there are many people around the world who will never be exposed to the Word of God. Since many people who are in Jesus' company did not buy in, why would God expect these persons to be converted by an occasional exchange with a Christian? Condemning these people who are basically good seems to be, or seems on the face of it, to be mean-spirited.
0: Interesting. What are your thoughts about that? Well. Certainly, we get a fair number of questions, you know, submitted to the website in different ways, different tones, if you will. Uh, but in general, it all wraps around uh, ignorance, you know, for those who are ignorant of God's will, didn't have a chance, quote unquote, to obey it, etc. So, from the get-go, you know, a number of different scriptures come to mind that sort of like build on build on each other. First of all, there is the, what I might call the exclusiveness of the gospel uh, and its call for obedience. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 24, John 14, verse 16, Romans 1, 16 through 17. You know, the power of the gospel, etc. Number two is the importance of spreading that gospel message. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, uh, Mark 16, 15 and 16. Uh, we've seen already in uh, the answer to a previous question that ignorance is not an excuse, uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Uh, we've seen uh, promised punishment on those who know not God, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 7 through 9. And we've even seen, as we've mentioned already, some consideration of degree of punishment seems to be in play. Uh, as part of Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. And, you know, Brian, maybe that is a way or a mechanism that allows God to be not only just, but also merciful for people in the situation that uh, the kind of guide describes. Uh, So having, you know, provided all those scriptures, you know, ignorance not being an excuse, people still being held accountable, etc., Uh, But there's another aspect to his question, and I don't know if he meant it, because he did kind of soften it, but, you know, this quote-unquote mean-spirited. Now, as he says, on the face of it might seem to be mean-spirited. Okay, fine. You know, sometimes we do get questions submitted to the website by atheists, agnostics, people that are anti-God, that really you can tell, you know, through the question, just just real dripping with sarcasm, etc., So let's just pause for a moment and kind of look at the question from that aspect. You know, first of all, he used a phrase, uh, let me find it again, ah, yes, condemning these people who are basically good. Well, and that's certainly, you know, from our perspective. I mean, there are people out there that, you know, may not have any exposure to the Bible, that still have basically, you know, ethically good moral kinds of people, even though they've had no, you know, exposure to, you know, Christianity. However, from God's perspective, it's a different perspective. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. In fact, Brian, why don't you read that passage to get hints at how God views people and whether or not people are basically good or not.
1: Okay, Uh, yeah, so Romans 3, beginning in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb, with their tongues they have practiced deceit, the poison of asp is under their lips. Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes.
0: Yeah, very uh, stark contrast to what we might call basically good people. And you know, Brian, to be very fair, that includes us. You know, that includes you and me. So, you know, when we are in sin, you know, before we became a Christian, when we are as a Christian, when we're in sin, it is something we all are. And so this kind of gives a little bit of insight into how God views, you know, sin. From our perspective, they may be basically good. But from God's perspective, no. They fall way short of true righteousness. The other aspect that sometimes people want to sort of sit in judgment on God, you know, using very limited knowledge. Certainly we see in the case of Job and his friends who all thought they had everything figured out. And, you know, Job, for the most part, held his integrity. But there were some phrases, some things he's wondering, like, you know, how can God be righteous? And I'm being persecuted. And, you know, he's being an adversary to me when he really didn't understand what was going on. He didn't have insight into chapter one, unfortunately. And when God starts to rebuke him, verse 38, or or educate him at the very least, uh, chapter 38, verse 2. God speaking, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's New King James. Chapter 40, verse 2, again, God, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. And Job, when he kind of realizes he doesn't really understand that much. Chapter 42, verse 3, Job responds, you ask, who is this who hides counsel with the knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. So when people start to sit in judgment and say, well, if I was God, I would have, or how can God be righteous when he does X, Y, or Z? Well, watch out. You really don't know what's going on. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Or if you prefer New Testament, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 35. In fact, Brian, why don't you go ahead and read that, and then you can sort of add any other comments you want before we wrap this one up.
1: Okay, so here it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. Yeah, very good passage. And you know, I was thinking, Jeff, that it's kind of like we were talking about uh, the question earlier about somebody did not know homosexuality was a sin. You know, there are many examples of God exposing people to the gospel, to the truth, when they were truly seeking to know the truth. I'm thinking, for instance, of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, Lydia in Acts chapter 16. I mean, those are just a couple of examples where you had people who were spiritually minded, who desired to know the truth, and God provided the means by sending people into their life to give them the truth. And, you know, you had referenced earlier Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Well, we also see that in in that passage in, in verse 15, Jesus commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. So if Jesus gave mankind that command, and in that case his disciples specifically, I think we can reasonably assume that God gives man the means to do so. And I can think of several examples uh, of people, for instance, a friend in India, you know, that was really desiring to seek the truth. And, you know, God sent information his way through a correspondence course uh, that he took, which then led him to obey the gospel and so forth. So anyhow, I guess what I'm saying is your point about the power of the gospel. If you truly have a desire to learn the truth, whether you're a homosexual or you're just, you know, in this particular case, wondering about those who may have never heard the truth. Well, give God some credit here, right? He works in mysterious ways. And there are many examples of where he brings truth into people's lives that are interested in seeking
0: it. Right. Well, and the other aspect I'll throw in there is you might try to make it, well, in today's world with the worldwide internet and you know global connectivity, ignorance is, is probably hard to come by. But even if you could make a case, you know, someone on some isolated island in the Philippines, whatever, what does that have to do with you? you know, what does it have to do with, you know, our listeners? What does it have to do with, you know, Brian and I? Because we do have access to the truth. We have more than access to the truth. We have the abundance of truth available to us, you know, printed materials, internet-based materials, audio podcasts, uh, etc. So uh, at least those who have access to technology, you know, there, which includes all of us listening here, right here today, uh, you know, you can't claim ignorance. Just put it that way. For further information on that particular topic at our website, certainly make it, we try to make it easy. I for ignorance. <laughs> Brian, anything else before we go to the next question? Uh, nope, let's go on. All right, so Deng writes in if fallen man is still able to do good works like kindness, love, and mercy before being saved, like Cornelius and the Good Samaritan, is it possible then he can also make a decision to believe the gospel and accept Christ based on his own volition, reasoning, and free will without any help from God? Yeah, that's an interesting one, because there's an undercurrent there that he doesn't quite say in terms of help from God, which makes me wonder, which you'll kind of get into, you know, Calvinism and such.
1: You're right. He talks about fallen man and, um, and then reasoning and free will without the help from God. So exactly right. So the answer is yes, most definitely. And, you know, when you think about this term of falling, no doubt mankind did fall when Adam and Eve, for that matter, sinned. And because of their sin, there were consequences that God outlined in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. So, for instance, a woman would have pain in childbirth, and that there would be, you know, thorns and thistles, and man would work by the sweat of his brow, and so forth. So, you know, when God created the heavens and earth, as we see in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you know, He made it perfect, He provided for mankind, but then man sinned, and that changed a lot of things. So there was indeed a fall. But to your point, Jeff, there's often when people talk about this idea of fall, they are talking about some false doctrine. And so, you know, if you study history, you'll see that there were a couple of false teachers by the name of Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, who was Catholic, and John Calvin, who believed and supported the the tenets that Augustine put forth, where Augustine extended the consequences of this fall to teach the false doctrine of total inherited depravity, it's called. so. That's basically an assertion that, due to Adam and Eve's sin, all men are now born in sin. And you know there there are many passages that refute that. I mean, for one thing, Genesis one twenty seven says that we were created in God's image. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter seven verse twenty nine says God made man upright, but he sought out many schemes and so forth. So there there's plenty of proof in the scriptures that God did not create man with a quote unquote sin nature as Augustine and John Calvin would have you to believe, but created us with free will, as Deng mentions, and has given us the ability to choose whether or not we want to be obedient to his will. And we were talking about Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 in the last question. Uh, Verse 16 says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So that clearly teaches free will, free choice, and so forth. So The Bible tells us that the reason we need to be baptized is because we've all sinned. So Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you then go over to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it tells us that the result of our sin, not Adam's, but our own sin, results in spiritual death. And it says here, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In fact, I would even extend this a little bit further. When we were talking about First John earlier, where it defines for us in First in John three four that sin is a transgression of the law. So, if we haven't transgressed the law, we haven't sinned. So then, it would be impossible for us to be born in sin. So, anyhow, plenty of scriptural evidence that make it very clear that yes, we have free will. Yes, we on our own sin and therefore are in need of salvation. And as we talked about earlier in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, if we're willing to repent of that sin and be baptized, Acts 2 38 says that we will be forgiven of those sins. And then, you know, ultimately, yes, we have other things to do, like live faithfully. And Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 says that if we do so, we will be given the crown of life. Another quick thought here to wrap this up you know, God is just, and the Bible also teaches us that he will judge us based on how we live our lives. So I would argue it would be unjust for us to be born in sin, but yet God makes it clear that he will justly judge each one of us based on how we have lived our life, not based on the sin of Adam and Eve. So for instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. So just another example, right? And, you know, Jeff, we did a series you might remember on Calvinism, and we were talking about this idea of total inherited sin. Well, it really is a a set of tenets that make up, or is one of, of several tenets that make up the false doctrine of Calvinism. So for Dang and any others who would just like to read about what Calvinism is, if you go to the topical index and choose the letter C, Uh, and go down into that section on Calvinism, you'll see there's an article entitled, What is Calvinist? Which, or what is Calvinism, I should say, which gives you kind of a a really overarching summary of what Calvinism is all about. But we also did uh, have this series, as I mentioned, episodes 83 through 89. We literally went through each one of these tenets of Calvinism. And Jeff, we compared it to God's word, right? To clearly teach what the Bible says compared to what this false doctrine
0: teaches. Right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because sometimes we get questions to the website from people that almost sense like the light is starting to go on. Like, you know, with Ding here, you know, talking about, you know, free will. You know, I could easily see him coming from a Calvinist background that says man is born totally depraved incapable of obeying god and therefore it takes a direct miraculous work of the holy spirit to enable him to have faith uh and he's going well now wait a minute and then he starts kind of reasoning and looking at some of these other scriptures and said, you know that that doesn't quite sound right or i'm reminded of people that write in that talk about once saved always saved and they come across you know various verses for instance in hebrews that talk about you know falling away etc and they go well, uh, wait a minute, if once saved, always saved is true, what what do these verses mean that, you know, talk about falling away or being severed from Christ or whatever? It's like, you got it. You know, the light's starting to come on. Uh, maybe what you believe is not what the Bible really has to say. So, we again, we appreciate, you know, all the questions submitted to the website. But those, those are the more interesting ones, in my opinion, where it's like, you know, people are starting to realize the truth. And you can almost hear the gears turning in their heads. Brian, any other thoughts before we uh, wrap it for the day?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. You're right. It's very encouraging when people see something that's amiss, if you will, in some of these false doctrines. And they say, well, that wouldn't be fair, or that doesn't make sense. And and I guess that really is the point of 2 Timothy 2.15, right? That we study, that we can rightly divide the Word of God it talks about. And, you know, I'll just encourage our listeners, if, you know, what we covered today... If you'd like more information, Jeff's going to vector you back to where you can find more. And we, of course, as we've been going along, have been giving you some some things as well. Uh, but early on in the podcast, we were talking about, you know, this new topical section under our podcast section. Uh, we also have, you know, a popular questions section, you know, just about... Well, I don't want to say any question, Jeff, but right, a large percentage of questions that people have have already been answered. And sometimes they're more popular questions. So take a look at that. But then there's also that ask a question button. So if what we have covered today or what you find on our website doesn't fully answer your question, then by all means, feel free to submit a question and we'll be able to give you a biblical answer within a few days.
0: I like that. So in terms of specific topics, just as a reminder of some that we've covered today, A, uh, then of course, this would be under the topics menu item. A for abortion uh, and attendance, C for Calvinism, H for Holy Spirit and homosexuality, I for ignorance, J for John the Baptist, N for the nature of man uh, with respect to free will, uh, as well as uh, N for new age movement with respect to reincarnation, O for obedience, R for reincarnation, and then uh, the broad one of S for salvation, as well as under the topics menu item, steps to Salvation. So you take that, you couple with it the podcast page Brian mentioned a few moments ago, as well as at the very beginning with additional topics of the podcasts, as well as the, uh, there's a page, I think it's also under topics that's popular, as well as the ask a question. So lots and lots of resources. I would strongly encourage our listeners to avail themselves of those resources, particularly the scriptures that are quoted, that you can actually dig into the Bible and see if what we're saying is the truth and you've got the courage to actually apply it to your your life.
1: Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.